When doing the job is so hard just now, how far will soft skills get you? I'm Nigel Cassidy, and this is the CIPD Podcast. Every day in 2020, each and every one of us has had to show kindness and sympathy to family, to friends and co-workers. That's whether or not it always comes naturally. It's been the worst year in our professional lives. But what the COVID-19 pandemic has shown us is how important it is to lead with the heart. There's been a lot of debate about the value of interpersonal skills to rally teams and support colleagues. But is all this getting a bit fluffy? A fad born of our times. How far are soft skills going to get us when the going is tough and you've no choice about imposing hard decisions on others? Here to talk using, measuring and developing soft skills and doubtless much more, Rebecca Wallace. She's Director of People and Corporate Responsibility for Rico UK, who provide document services, consulting, software and hardware worldwide. She's a board director with overall responsibility for human resources, learning and corporate responsibility. Hello. Hello. Phil Lowe has 30 years experience as a leadership development specialist, a former senior consultant originally with PricewaterhouseCoopers and people development manager at Goldman Sachs. His recent clients include BP, Barclays, the NHS and the civil service. Hello. Hello. And from the home team, Lizzie Crowley, senior skills advisor to the CIPD. She's also published a number of influential reports on youth unemployment. Hello. Hi there. So, Lizzie, there are other blanket terms, I suppose, for the skills we're talking about here. Essential skills, core, human, transferable. We know that employers repeatedly say that young applicants and many existing workers lack them. So let's keep it simple. What are soft skills? I think that's part of where the problem is, is that we don't really have an agreed language to describe these skills. And that's, you know, we'll come on to that later. But that's a lot of work we've been doing at the CIPD. But if you think about those skills which enable individuals to work together in organisations, so teamwork, communication, listening, problem solving. We're talking about some of the really fundamental human capabilities that you know are very difficult to automate out and are becoming increasingly important. And I suppose, Rebecca Wallace, these skills, they're not technical, they're not academic, so maybe we shouldn't be too surprised that people aren't taught them. It's a really good point, actually, in terms of whether people are taught them or not. In, in fact, it's absolutely true in professional work. People get their technical skills. Quite often, people are promoted through being a subject matter expert. We see a lot of that. But the, the importance, as Liz was saying, of the soft skills, it's that overlay, it's that ability not to do something, it's to do it well. It's how you do it, how you fit in with your culture, environment and your teamwork. And absolutely, I think there is a lack of teaching of soft skills. And just quickly, Rebecca, in your organisation, was it very apparent as 2020 wore on that some people didn't have these skills and maybe were at a disadvantage because they didn't? I think it was dramatically made us aware, actually, when when we first went into the COVID situation, the difference between those leaders who had the soft skills at the appropriate levels and those leaders who didn't became very very evident and certainly those leaders who had those skills through through training there's not something people aren't born with them they're trained to have them was evident the difference in how they manage their team that's gone on through the whole of 2020 actually and continues as we speak. Now, Phil Lowe, it's all very well being known around the workplace for your sensitivity, your understanding. But then, of course, people managers are having to make tough decisions at the moment, discipline people, demote them, all that. Uh, I think what you call people elements. And I just wonder whether all, all that sensitivity might actually just get in the way. 
you're absolutely right, first of all. I think that there are always going to be situations in organisations, particularly at the moment, but all the time, where you have to make quite tough decisions and you might have to act in a way that is not going to be great for people in the short term. But the problem, I think, is that when people think about soft skills, for, for want of a better description, and I, I agree with Lizzie, it's not a kind of perfect way of describing them, but if we understand what we mean by that, they swing between soft skills and what you might call more hard skills, the very kind of direct approaches which operate without empathy and don't sort of take care of people particularly. People tend to see it as an either or, and I don't think it is. I think the best leaders and managers operate with a blend to keep it simple let's say clarity and empathy i can give you a clear message about your performance i can also take care of you as a person okay well lizzie crowley um, with that in mind um, i'm just getting a bit sort of twitchy about this because already uh, at least two of you are not altogether happy about this term soft skills i just wonder whether it's all a bit overblown i mean the profession constantly striving to ensure what it does is evidence-based well before this uh, podcast i spent a bit of a while consulting uh, dr google and frankly i mean evidence is pretty scant perhaps i wasn't looking in the right learned journals but i mean i, I don't see much evidence that uh, soft skills uh, help you do the job well, I mean, if you look at a lot of the major data sources that are out there, these skills do come up, you know, seven out of the top 10 skills that are missing amongst employees and that businesses are looking for are these skills. These skills do fundamentally affect the bottom line. If you don't have them in your organisation, it's very difficult to introduce new product, new process improvements. And, you know, there's, there's a sufficient amount of evidence out there that actually shows that these skills, you know, if you get them right, it pays dividends. Google has, for instance, been studying teams for, I think, around about seven or eight years. And it was these skills that they identified as the important ones to have in a successful team. It wasn't the deep specialist skills. It was people who were able to collaborate and communicate effectively with one another. And even like um, a randomized control trial in a factory setting done by MIT Sloan, found a 250% return on investment for providing training and problem-solving skills within five factory settings. So I think that there's quite a sufficient amount of evidence out there that they really do impact upon business performance. Absolutely. I think um, that there is a, when, when you look at the, the wider employee sense, the soft skills feed into culture. Culture feeds into the how the workforce works. And we, we did do some work, actually, um, Rico, actually, we, we go out to customers to help them help their workforce, as it were. And we took the opportunity in October to do a piece called Conscious Workplace, very psychologically based and stuff. And it sort of it spoke to a big sample of people and, and looked at what were the key things that were important during this. And a lot of this was around decision making, what was actually the successful companies, how they came out of it. We referred earlier to decision making as a key skill, particularly during times of crisis, but also things around looking at the impact on employees around things like mental health and that the link with that and productivity obviously I'm sure Lizzie can quote some statistics but you know people being well psychologically physically and so on but in this case we're talking psychologically but then the link with that and empathy from managers that support from managers so I think I absolutely agree with what Lizzie's saying there is a fundamental link between productivity and and um, you know customer satisfaction company success with employees and sort of how they're functioning and that comes from leadership and culture and how they're managed. I wanted to add to that because I, 
I'd endorse that. I think one of the one of the things that you do notice happens when you have leaders and managers, not maybe not even a whole organisation doing this, but you have individual leaders and managers who are able to work well with their employees, is you get a big boost in loyalty. You know, it, it is often said that people don't leave organisations, they leave people. And one of my clients that happened to be a research company did a huge piece of research and, and they found that the biggest factor when anybody chose to leave the organization was the behavior of their own boss. So I think some of the research that I've seen has a bit of a question mark over productivity, actually, but I'll bow to Lizzie's, which is probably more recent. But, you know, if you, if you think about it, you can get productivity out of people by beating them and making them very scared. What you don't get, though, is employees who will be loyal to you over the longer term. And that can be quite a significant thing. So taking that up with you, Lizzie, how can you crystallise this link between having good soft skills and outcomes? I mean, again, to quote the evidence-based thing, you know that old thing at the interview where you're asked, can you tell me about a time when this happened and you did this and that was the outcome? I do think that we need to um, get better about measuring these types of skills and valuing them more in organisations. And I think one of the reasons why we actually have a bit of a weak evidence base here, I'm not saying we, um, the, 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 the examples I quoted at you earlier, um, you know, they do exist. They are relatively robust, but I do think we need to work at better strengthening our evidence base around the values of these skill sets bring to organisations and also about kind of what what are some of the best ways to develop these skills within the context of employment. That's why we've been doing a lot of work um, through the Essential Skills Task Force to develop a very detailed, measurable set of skills that enable you to look at how people progress across these softer skill sets. We call them essential skills. I do take the point that um, the evidence base is not necessarily that clear cut in here. We've got some indications about their importance of these skills. And I think going back to um, what businesses say through major surveys about actually what is stopping them, you know, actually getting on with the the things they want to do, you know, the the products and the processes they want to improve on, the innovation they want to get they want to happen within their organisations. It's in many cases, it's these skills that are holding them back. And that time and time again, it comes out through survey work that that is, you know, a fundamental fact. Okay, so if these skills are holding people back, and we want to push them forward with them, Rebecca Wallace, what do you do in your organisation? I mean, if you look at your website, there's an awful lot about the value you place on these kind of things. How do you nurture people and help them to develop these skills so that they can use them in their day-to-day business life. And of course, it's uh, particularly important now because they're not learning from each other in an office. In the main, people are uh, working virtually. Yeah, to pick up on your first point, I think virtually it is hard, I think, to really engender and embed these skills to some extent. You do need to interact with other people. So, But, but that aside, in terms of what we're doing, so we, we have a long history of leadership programmes where the soft skills are structured with people and sort of support and training and and measured to some extent but measured in terms of output interestingly 
So someone would uh, have an example of a project they wanted to do, how they'd work with the team, and then that would have to be a distinct return on investment. Picking up on Liz's point around central skills, something we're doing going forward or currently in the process of doing is actually embedding within our leadership programmes, within our other programmes, some of the core essential skills through the Skills Builder Framework, which, which do have sort of levels from 1 to 15, which can be measurable. So, so in terms of putting someone in, you can assess where someone starts on, on a particular skill like listening, put some intervention in, some support in, and then sort of measure again if they've increased in those skills. So, and that's what we're looking to going forward. We're looking at currently, particularly looking at for younger people, for apprentices coming in, those leaving school or education, but also for middle managers, for people who've been with us a long, long time. So I think there is something in there that has a lot of potential in terms of one being recognised when we talk about the language and, and different people do use different languages and, and different terms for soft skills, but also how we measure the effectiveness of any interventions. And those can be multiple, you know, online, um, face-to-face, coaching and mentoring are amazing for developing people's soft skills and, and skills generally. But again, those can be tailored to the learner or tailored to the circumstances that we, we find ourselves in. Phil, though, do you want to pick up that point about measuring, training, actually working with people? What do you think is helpful? Because we all know managers and colleagues who are super deficient in people skills. I was really interested to hear that that list of um, things from Rebecca that they're doing, because it is true that these kind of skills are fiendishly difficult to measure often. And I mean, back in the 90s, Coopers and Librand, as it was then, just before they became PwC, spent several years years and a lot of money trying to develop a system called econometrics and the idea of this is that it will give you hard measures of what HR activities were delivering so that you could go to the finance director and say see look at all the value I'm creating let me have a bigger budget but they couldn't do it they couldn't make it work but I I think that picking up on one of Rebecca's examples the um, you know you measure and then you measure again one client of mine did a a very good job of building this was around organizational values I know this is a bit of a minefield to get into we haven't mentioned them yet but organizational values which were all about promoting the kind of softer side of this organization and this was a manufacturing organization so it was they were taking it really seriously so what they did was they went to the annual performance review process and they said right we're going to split it 60 40 60 percent of your annual review is on your business delivery 40 percent is on you living our values and I was the person who was leading the uh, workshops for leaders in the organization to help them support them in how to run their reviews and of course what everyone was saying was well how can I tell if someone's living the values you can't measure that it's not a it's not a kind of hard thing what we got them doing was having the equivalent conversation that you would have if you were setting a goal for someone so in someone's business business performance you set a goal at the beginning of the period, the year or the, the quarter or whatever it is, and then you come back and you see how, how they've done against that goal. And the values equivalent of this was to have a kind of a little bit of a debate and discussion between the leader and the individual to say, OK, if you were going to live this particular value, you in your job at the moment with everything else going on, what would we need to see you doing that would tell us that you were living it? So they'd have that kind of dialogue early on in the process. And then the the manager would know what to look at and what they were going to be observing to help them gather some data. And the employee knew very clearly what it was that they were being observed on and what they were being um, 
assessed, for want of a better word, on. And so that there was a great openness about the process. So I think the measures very often they can be subjective, which is what some people struggle with. But if they're subjective and agreed, and both you know manager and employee know what it is that is being measured, then I think it can be it can actually be much more easy than people think to do that. Yes, yeah, I think that is sort of the key point here. That I mean, we've done quite a bit of work in this space, and actually, sort of what what the framework, the skills builder framework, is sort of most useful for in many respects is to being a self reflective development tool. So you know, it's very detailed. It's broken down into these kind of you can you can sort of self assess your you know self. The interesting thing is though that actually when we got sort of um, HRDs in organisations and look at these detailed breakdowns you know they say well they've got people in senior management positions who maybe score only a level three at some communication skills so I think having some combination of self-reflection and 360 degrees sort of feedback around these skill sets but it is I suppose there is a challenge here because it's easy to talk for instance to an employee or to someone in your leadership team and say well you've got this technical skill gaps missing you know we need to offer you some training in this area but if you actually say to someone well you know I don't think you're necessarily that good at this type of um, softer skills so you know working in a team and you've broken that down I mean it is a more challenging conversation to have with employees when you're identifying weaknesses in this area and also we need to recognize that they often take quite a long time to to change because it's not a change in knowledge that you're seeking it's a change in knowledge and behavior so you know they do take longer and it sometimes can be a bit more of a challenge to talk about them I think there's a very simple thing you can do if you want to give somebody a message that says in effect you are not delivering on this soft skill you just need to do the same thing or you, you need to kind of create a missing link to be the equivalent of a business area. So in other words, you tell them what the impact is of them not doing this particular thing. There's an aspect of your team working which is deficient, and the impact of that is going to be that the team will not meet its goals and therefore the business will lose this and this. So you, in other words, you turn it into a hard business measure further down the chain. And that then makes the link for people, I think, and they can see why it's so important. Rebecca Wallace, the buck stops with people in a job like yours. Just tell us how soft skills specifically help you personally in your daily work leading human resources. I guess to some extent as an HR manager, you are you do need to be an HR director, you do need to be a role model in a role model department. So to sort of, you know, walk the talk, as it were. And how does it help me in my day-to-day work? I think in terms of when you talk about things like listening, you talk about things like speaking, communicating, or all key skills, they are things that you do need to ideally be pretty good at because you are talking sort of effectively the voice of the organization. You're talking to managers in Phil's words, you know, to, to try and help them to be better managers. Do you ever have to remind yourself to do these things? At a very personal level, I think I do try to, you know, be very authentic and work in a, in a way which is, and, but it becomes very, I do also recognise it comes very naturally to me. So kind of like I'm in, inside the organisation, like I'm outside the organisation like that. I also recognise it doesn't always come, but that's through years of experience, years of learning, years of getting it wrong, I think it's fair to say. And yes, I'm not perfect. So I'm not trying to imply that. But do I have to remind myself? I think at times it can. I think what's interesting, actually, when we think back to the last 12 months is, you know, there are times in COVID where we were making 
decisions with very, very, very little data. And I think, and you're having to make quite quick decisions, quite hard decisions, as we said earlier. And I think at those times, it's the times where I thought, gosh, normally I would have listened, I would have spoken, I would have asked, I would have gathered views and things like that. And that's where you kind of get that conflict between actually utilizing your, your soft skills, your essential skills, and actually just having to get the job done in the best way possible. But yeah, good question. And uh, Lizzie Crowley, let's kind of go down the food chain a little bit to the kind of rank and file people working in human resources. Just a quick thought or two from you on which, in a way, are the most useful skills to deploy and how you can acquire them if you don't have them. Well, I think sort of everyone has skills in these areas. It's being able to reflect on actually where some of your weaknesses and your development needs lie as an individual. So we all have experience of working in in teams. And I think sort of one of the, as an example, but I think kind of one of the key things which have been shown to be incredibly powerful here is around sort of having a mentor. And Rebecca mentioned it earlier about the importance of mentoring and coaching initiatives internally. So you know, we've set up CIBD, some of our own um, sort of mentoring networks with um, sort of senior HRDs and people working within the HR profession at a lower level, because you recognise the critical importance of having someone you can listen to, talk problems through and actually to be able to identify areas where, you know, you maybe need to go away and, and work to improve on on certain skill sets. And it's absolutely critical for these skills um, in particular. And Phil, what about people who are just starting their career? Often in HR, they're doing a lot of process stuff. In many ways, they probably don't get chance to interact with people enough, especially with remote working. So how do they actually learn these skills? First of all, there are some fundamental basics that anybody, regardless of role or in the situations that you describe, can learn. For example, if you look at kind of motivation theory, one of the fundamental things that underpins most motivation is a feeling of significance. So in other words, if you could make all your employees feel significant, i.e. that they matter, that you notice them and so on, and the very simplest way to do that is to make eye contact with them, which people don't do anymore. And I think, for example, one of the reasons people find uh, Zoom and other virtual teams and other virtual platforms so tiring is no one's looking at you. No one's making eye contact with you. We're all kind of looking somewhere else on the screen. So your person, for example, you know, who's got a pretty heavy desk job, not interacting with people very much, if all they did when somebody came over and said, have you got a moment? was stop what they were doing and looked the person in the eye and listened to them for a moment, that would have such an impact on that individual who spends their days going around with everybody multitasking and not paying them any attention at all. And your junior HR person would find all of a sudden that they're getting quite highly rated by people for being a very effective people person. And all they're doing is just paying somebody some attention when they talk to them. I do think that we have a bit of a challenge here with the um, current working arrangements, particularly for new labour market entrants. So uh, many of these skills are learnt by observing um, your more senior colleagues and how they behave in certain situations and, and so on. So actually for young people, I think, you know, they are missing out a big part of their career development at the moment by, you know, us all being forced to work in these ways. Um, you know, technology has got some great solutions, you 
know, to help support people, you know, peer-to-peer learning communities and so on. But I don't think that's ever going to take the place of actually real-world experience of seeing people behave in a more normal... Sorry, I've just tried to find a way to... At least you you didn't mention the new normal, so that was something. Yeah. Rebecca Wallace. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I think at the moment we're, we're sort of, we haven't been in position to heavily recruit, but things that we would have done in the past, such as work placements, work experience, with, when we're talking young people, entry level roles, I'm struggling at the moment to know how to do that in a, an effective way because you're absolutely right. The role modeling, the seeing what happens, even the had apprentices in the past of just bring a notebook and a pen to a meeting you know you wouldn't say that you wouldn't actually see it on video calls you can only see a certain amount of space so I think that there is a whole I'm not wanting to say whole generation because that's not strictly true but you know there is a whole tranche of people who will miss out on sort of accelerating those essential skills those soft skills at the very beginning of their career and picking up on Phil's point those things those small little differences that people can make massive in terms of not just their own career and development but in terms of the people they interact with and and the overall impact on things so no I think it's quite troubling at the moment. Okay so just looking at uh, how we can just continue developing and using some of these uh, essential soft skills in 2021 Uh, Phil do you think we've got to kind of peak soft skills because of the pandemic or will we actually need them more in the future? I think yes to the extent that people are feeling pretty kind of bruised pandemic wise they're feeling quite lost and I think having a workplace that makes them feel important and feel like they matter is going to go a long way towards you know from a kind of collective mental health point of view I think it'd be a very very good thing that organizations can do but having said that the other thing that a lot of people are complaining about in the pandemic time is they don't get any clarity they don't know what's going on And that's, I think that's edging into your hard skills. But I think that's something that organisations could really bear in mind is people want clarity. They want somebody to look them in the eye. Well, you know, obviously look them in the eye from what I said before. Look them in the eye and say, you know, this is what we expect. This is what we want you to do. This is how we'd like you to do it or whatever that conversation is. But clarity and simplicity along with empathy, I think that's hard to get the two in balance sometimes but a combination of the two could work really well and Lizzie Crowley some of us who've worked through the analog age and gone into the digital age uh, another thing is that in order to get things done we need to influence people uh, often virtually often perhaps when we wouldn't necessarily have the real authority in the organization to do it and I suppose that's where soft skills come in Yes, I mean, negotiating and influencing individuals has been an incredibly important um, soft skill that that individuals really need to learn and and develop over the course of their careers. And I think just coming back to kind of the question you asked Phil there about are these things going to be less important 2021 when we come out of the pandemic? I mean, my view is that these skills are only going to become even more important as technology continues to reshape work and actually a lot of the more more sort of uh, more routine or or some of the more technical skills become automated it is these things if you think about it from the HR perspective some of those processes you mentioned earlier about tasks people might be doing earlier on in their careers those things are more vulnerable to automation and the ability to work together to interrogate to critically think to negotiate to influence those things will only become more important and you can't automate those 
Rebecca Wallace, final thought from you. Absolutely. I was just going to absolutely agree with what Lizzie says. And I think when people have looked at this research, and I'm a firm believer in this, I think if we can see the sort of essential skills, soft skills as the foundation for any job, and we know lots and lots of people are going to have to retrain, upskill, cross-skill over the coming decade and beyond. But every job you look at, in theory, and in my belief, it is done better by having good core skills so that as a foundation and a building block for every other job with the technical aspects overlaid is fundamental to as we go forward into the future so my belief is that they do become more and more important as people move careers. Rebecca Wallace thanks very much indeed fundamental indeed and certainly one of the things I've learned today even as we talked uh, through many aspects of these skills it's too easy to fall into the trap of thinking soft skills are about being soft when of course it's to do with how you use your head in any situation And as we've heard, we've all got to work on those soft skills to get through 2021. It would certainly be a shame if we don't use them more to influence others. A quick word. Last month, we talked about how to change your organisation's learning culture. I've touched on that a bit uh, this time, too. So it was pleasing to see a post afterwards from a retailer in these troubled times, Carpet Right, saying they're appointing a new head of L&D to spearhead simple but effective strategies to inspire colleagues and retain talent so they become an employer of choice so just what we were talking about and that all important uh, podcast we did about employment life after brexit that's still up and very relevant at the moment you can see that and all our other podcasts on the cipd website so please subscribe so you don't miss any but until next time from all of us here from lizzie crowley rebecca wallace and phil Lowe, thank you very much indeed thanks for listening goodbye and keep safe 